Blue Wire Hustle proudly presents All Eyes on Cleveland. This is your Browns post-draft react show featuring the one and only Ellis Williams. You can find him on Twitter at Book of Ellis. He writes for Cleveland.com. How are we doing tonight, Ellis? I'm cool, Brad. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Excited after the draft. Uh, I know it was busy weekends for us both and... Uh, Lots of fun, though. But we're going to break it all down here, kind of react to everything uh, tonight for everybody. Uh, you know, UDFAs are getting signed. Browns did a nice job there. We'll hit on that. And then we're going to take a look around the, the AFC North and see how the other teams did as far as drafts go tonight as well. Uh, but right off the top, let's let's start with this. Uh, Greg Newsom, the Browns land. Uh, you know, I was pretty clear about how I felt about the Browns draft that they needed to get a cornerback uh, of significance. That w- that was their only need, and they were able to go out and uh, and get that corner in Greg Newsom. What were your thoughts on on uh, the first pick at twenty six overall with Newsom? I was pleasantly surprised Greg Newsom was still available at twenty six. But when you go back and look at the first round, that's a product of probably Alex Leatherwood going and two running backs ahead of the number 26 spots. You look at mocks and, and kind of play this out yourself. You know, you don't really expect that. Maybe one running back. You definitely didn't think Leatherwood would go there to the Raiders. Uh, And then before you know it, the Browns don't have to do anything like trading back or anything to get a guy who, as we're looking at this tape is a real instinctual uh, zone cover corner, really sharp, smart young man, I love what he does in zone coverage. He's got some ability to play man with his length. He gets into receivers as, again, as we're seeing the tape. He knows how to find the catch point, and he uses that length to not draw penalty but to disrupt balls and and, and catching ability of outside receivers. He's going to play primarily in the slot – or, excuse me, outside, all outside. I don't expect him to be in the slot at all. And this is a young man, as we look at his tape again, I notice how skinny he is. Now, if you go get his pro day – or even his Instagram account, I'm telling you guys, he's put on some real mass, some real muscle. And that is honestly what's impressed me the most. I like his lean figure tape from the fall and then progressing that into the size and the athlete he looks like now. I think this is a sharp, stout pick, and the Browns were probably surprised to see him there at 26, but he's going to fit right in here in Cleveland. Yeah, he's listed at 6'1", 190, but he looks like right now he looks like he has an NFL body already when you look at him now. Um, and he's got the build for it. You know, he was the last one kind of in that tier of corners, that top tier of corners. If you, if you look at like the top four, right. Yeah. Um, but he probably has the best feet, I think out of all of them, uh, really can put his foot in the ground, drive on the ball. He's smart. I think his foot football IQ is really high. And he has that, he has that moxie that you need as a corner. As you heard him say, he thought he should have been the number one pick in the draft. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought he was a real cool, calm, collected and confident yeah. young man. You know, like he was talking about wanting to cover Julio Jones and Larry Fitzgerald, but not in disrespectful ways In ways. Like I want to go toe to toe with, with the, with the OGs, with the goats. And, for a guy who, to say that and then understand he's going to be lining up against Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry come training camp, I think he's excited and both humble to the opportunity but confident with how he'll perform. Um, you see him come up in, a couple times here and play the run really well on the yeah. tape right now too, and that's something that Greedy 
uh, was kind of a knock on Greedy. When you look at him and Greedy, would you, if I had to say, you know, you're Vegas and uh, you got to give me some odds on who's going to be the starting corner opposite Denzel Ward, would you go with uh, their pick here with Newsom or would you go with Greedy Williams? I would make Greg Newsom the slim favorite. And a lot of that really only has to do with the unknown health of Greedy Williams. We know he's trending in the right direction. Uh, Mary Kay Cabot, my colleague at Cleveland.com, reported probably a month or two ago that he was around 70%. And that's great. And again, he's progressing in the right direction. But if training camp comes in that 70s, only at 85 or so, and we're talking about 100% Greg Newsom, then that's going to give him a, a solid edge. I think they're going to have an opportunity to both compete, be healthy, remain healthy, and then just play one through three corner, excluding the slot. So between Denzel, Greg Newsom, and Greedy Williams, the Browns have three high upside quality outside corners, of course, with Denzel being the number one. Yeah, of course. I I would do the same. I would put Newsom as odds on favorite, probably to win the job. A, in that, you know, we know he's going to be healthy, right? Or at least coming into camp, we suspect that he should probably be healthy. We don't. It's an unknown with Greedy, as you said. But also, Greedy wasn't this regime's pick right. necessarily. I know Barry was around, I think, right, maybe when they took him. So that kind of plays into a little bit. But this is a this is a first-round pick. I mean, you use a first-round pick on a guy, you should probably give the benefit of the doubt. Like, if they were neck and neck and you really couldn't tell one little bit of difference, I think the edge would go to the first-round pick, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's going to be interesting to see. I, I brought that up to my colleagues on one of our podcasts last night with we're going to realize pretty quickly who they want to play. Not saying these guys don't earn it, but what is really going to be the difference between a guy we're going to get to here soon, Anthony Shorts, and and what Cordero Hodge can do. So we're going to find out pretty soon what guys are going to want to get on the field because at the end of the day, all these, whether they're the rookies or the year two, year three, year four vets, some of these guys in, on the backup spots in the depth chart probably have relatively similar skill sets. Yeah, uh, I agree. So good stuff there is the Browns getting Newsom at 26. Uh, they go to the second round here, right? And, uh, you know, we were going into day two like, okay, Owosu Koromoa fell out of the first round, but he's got to be off the board right away is what I was thinking. Yeah, There's no way he's going to be there for the Browns. I didn't even mention it in, in the podcast the night before when we were reacting to 26 of guys that they, you know, would really like. And I actually talked to Charlie Campbell that morning, and, and I had sent him a T-shirt from the show from coming on from Walter Football. And he, I was like, Charlie, you got your T-shirt. It said it arrived. He's like, oh, yeah, I got it. I wore it on the podcast. I was like, give me some inside info on the Browns, day two. He's like, I don't have any inside info. I just know they love JOK. Yeah. That's all he said. And, and ends up he falls. Why the fall, you think? as I'll get his tape up here, but why why the fall so far into the second round, in your opinion? Well, it, it sounds like, in our my, again, my colleague Mary Kay Cabot has recently confirmed that he had a heart condition that was flagged in his medicals, and that information came out late, which attributed to his fall. But when Andrew Berry uh, and Paul D. Podesta came on to talk about the pick, they were asked about his medicals and were confident that they were not a concern and that uh, – JOK wouldn't health would not be an issue for them moving forward. 
So that is a report now out, but we had a little bit of nibble of it on draft night. Medicals aside, he fell due to really being a player without a position, but that's perfect for the Browns. He's yeah. a guy who is too small to be a linebacker, not a deep one-third coverage safety, but the Browns are cool with that. They see a football player, a guy who has quick trigger instincts, can get sideline to sideline, and someone that they can mold into really a gadget player, a, a Swiss ar- army knife, if you will, defensively. He'll probably end up being an overhanging type defender, but they say he's a true linebacker, and I we're going to find out how they develop him in the yeah. years, you know, I wouldn't expect a home run type of player right away, but over these next two years, we're going to see what Joe Woods and Kevin Stefanski have planned for Woe, as they're calling him. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if they're going to put him out, I think they'll put him out on the field right away. I, I think, you know, to some extent um, he wants to play linebacker, right? Uh, he said basically in the NFL, I heard in one of his things and, and he'll be the smallest linebacker probably in the NFL day one that he steps out there like that if he's going to play a true position there. But we've seen what he can do. He can guard tight ends. He can, you know, he's got hips like a safety. And, you know, he can guard wide receivers. But he's he's so good against the run and even, uh, you know, rushing the passer too. It's like, okay, they modernize this defense with this kind of speed, right, and this kind of an athlete. I think he fits perfectly into what Joe Woods wants to do. If you want to use him as that rover or viper, you know, big nickel type guy, or as a, as your second, one of your two linebackers in a nickel or dime defense, right? So you could use him in a number of ways there. Um, who, in your opinion, you think we'll see him more in a traditional linebacker position, or do you think they'll... You know, I would hate to see one of those three safeties lose playing time because they want to put him in that that rover role or whatever. Right, uh, and I think I said Wu. I meant Wu. Their nickname Wu. Um, they're gonna. I think they're gonna start my linebacker. <laughs> and I know the, the name's hard to pronounce as it is, so we're trying to get these nicknames down right. Um, yeah, I, I think he starts as a linebacker, and, and perhaps I can put some weight on him. I, I understand the safety thing, but I really think we have to look at these guys less as what the letter next to their name is and just ID them as talented stout football players at or near the line of scrimmage. And then the deep safeties are, are going to be the more Grant Delpit types, you know, Ronnie yeah. Harrison and Wu seem like the guys who will patrol around the line of scrimmage. And then John Johnson really can do it all. And then Grant Delpit as your traditional, probably deep guy. That is probably the, the deep rundown of how this quote unquote, positionless group of safety slash linebackers are going to play. But I think they're just going to be creative with this young kid and, and try to get him on the field as many ways as they can. So it makes me laugh when I think about this, right? Like, so Brady was pissed when, about the single numbers things, right? Tom Brady was, because yeah. he was like, oh, how am I going to identify? Well, the Browns, I mean, that would be perfect. They just need to take all their their linebackers and all their secondary, player, secondary players and give them like sixes and nines and eights and move them all around, and they'll never know what the hell's going on in the secondary, right? Yeah, no, it's a fair point. They were saying on the ESPN broadcast, you know, if you put uh, in the pros, if you put a number 20 on Wu, you know, he'd be a safety. If you put 55, he'd be a linebacker. That's really all it comes down to because they're just fast football players at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah, so good stuff there. Here's a question. Just say they come out in their base, right, the regular 4-3 base. I'm going to put you on the spot again. I got to do it. In their 4-3 base – 
uh, with Walker at middle linebacker and Phillips and JOK on the left and the right of them, right, yes. uh, in their base. And then they go to go to their dime or their nickel or whatever. Which linebacker comes off the field first there? That's a tough one. I would probably say the guy who definitely doesn't come off is Anthony Walker. I think he's one of the fastest linebackers in the league. And he's going to step into that B.J. Goodson role who played a career-high snaps for the Browns this past year. And now we're going down to Jacob Phillips, who is going to be a second-year guy and still has a lot to prove, and a rookie I haven't seen step on an NFL turf yet. So that's a tough one to say. <laughs> my, my, gut, really fair. My, gut, my gut leans with experience, but until these guys are at least a week or two into training camp, I, I really can't answer that. Yeah, I apologize. That one wasn't Weird, really man. fair. Uh, you know, I got to put you on the spot while I got you here, you know what I, I mean? Yeah. So. It's uh, uh, so you know that's what everybody's wondering though, right? So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll find out soon. We'll find out soon, and it's a good problem to have. It is. It's it's a very good problem to have. Uh, I think they have high expectations for Jacob Phillips. I yep. think of all the guys that you know maybe were put on notice in that linebacker room by taking him exactly. and Fields. I think Phillips was less the least of those. I think they envision him a part of their future. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I completely agree that he was the first guy that really tipped the Browns' hands as what they see as a modern, you know, prototypical linebacker. And he's, you know, a guy who has a very different build than, let's say, you know, Sony Takitaki. Exactly, yeah. Um, all right, so then, then we get into wide receiver zone. And wide receiver was kind of a, a point of emphasis coming into this draft for people that – looking down the road, your succession plan for the Browns, right? And they needed to add speed to the room. Well, they certainly did that as they went out and got a track star and Anthony Schwartz, six foot, uh, 179 pounds. Do you like this pick? Round three, pick 92. Yeah, I'm cool with it. I think this might be the only spot in the draft where things didn't go according to plan for the Browns. Uh, okay. The I believe it was the Packers grabbed a receiver, Rodgers, a little bit ahead of them. And then Nico Collins went off the board, a receiver from Michigan. The Browns grabbed shorts. And then a, five picks after that, I believe the Patriots grabbed edge rusher defensive edge Ronnie Perkins. Now, if Ronnie turns out to be a pretty nice player, a guy I like coming into this draft process being developed now in New England, which you like if you're in Ronnie Perkins' camp, this yeah. might be the spot where you think, okay, maybe the Browns reached a little bit with two receivers coming off the board, knowing they needed a guy and he, they weren't. Anthony wasn't going to get back to them in the following round. But I will say this about Anthony Schwartz. He's going to play a really specific role, specific role in Kevin Fancy's offense. I view him as the fusion or exact blend of, of what a football player would look like if you took Cordero Hodge and merged him with JoJo Natson. That's Anthony Schwartz. And <laughs> that's going to really intrigue Kevin Stefanski because as soon as Odell Beckham Jr. went down and then parlaying that with Nats's injury, the Browns lost all ability to stretch teams vertically and horizontally. Yeah, I know you're absolutely right there. And, and and he brings that back if he can get on the field and do some things. So like the positives on him are obviously the world class speed, right? Yeah. But the the negatives are he's not a great receiver and he gets knocked off off of that speed pretty easily by defenders and and you know guys get his hands on him and they can slow him down he's real slim his routes aren't great his ball skills aren't great he's pretty raw as a receiver goes obviously those are things that we want the coaching staff to help him learn and bring along and stuff like that do you see him as just kind of a gadget guy at the beginning here that they'll have a package of plays for schwartz 
you know, that they can get him the ball just because he's a home run threat at the beginning? Or do you see him actually using him as a receiver right from the start? Well, it depends what type of package we're talking about. I'll say this. I know they're looking for a receiver to run those deep posts to take high safeties so that they can hit deep ends and the intermediate crosses, right? And why would you have Odell Beckham Jr. do that when you want the guy to get the ball in the middle of the field when he's open and then be able to create? So to have Shorts and Beckham on the field is something they're going to want to do. And for Shorts to be a threat on that deep post, they're going to have to throw it. And he's going to have to prove that he's a threat to make that play. So I think he'll have chances at receivers to do that. But the the jet sweeps, the jet motions, the orbit motions, the wide receiver tunnel screens, those are all aspects of the game that he brings that this Browns offense needed, and he's going to get those type of packages and gadget plays as well. That's what I expect in the short term on top of special teams. But I am a little more optimistic than what I'm reading in in draft reviews regarding his long-term development. I think he's got better hands than people give him credit for, specifically as a tactical catcher. You know, not – there are some moments when he's downfield on those deep posts where his hands just, just something happens. And he, that is a big no, no. And that is of course something needs to be get addressed, but as like a technical receiver catching a six yard hitch or something, he catches with his hands. He's, he's a professional. He's sound in that way. You know, he's not sloppy catching the ball with his body. He looks like on tape, a football player with track speed, not a track speed trying to play football player. Okay, so, good. That, is that was my concern. Yeah, that's yeah. something really opti- optimistic. When he gets the ball in his hands, he looks like a football player. He looks natural with it. I- I'm, I'm more optimistic about his long-term development. I think he'll have a rule right away. Yeah, that, those were my concerns, to be honest with you, from what the things that I read is I haven't really – you just see the highlights. I haven't yeah. dug into his tape yet. Yep. You know, So, like, that's – that's a, a positive, I think, uh, to hear you say that, because that's kind of what the feeling I got initially was. This is a guy that can run. That's on the football field. So it's a, you kind of uh, put that uh, uh, in perspective there. So I'm glad that you said that. All right. So then they go offensive line. James Hudson is an interesting case, right? Yep. Defensive tackle from started as a defensive tackle, uh, moved to offensive line. Cincinnati six five three ten. Um, you know, his movement skills are great. He looks like he has great feet. They said that he's got a great enforcer mentality uh, about him. Um, but, you know, the things I saw on initial taper, his hands need some work. His hands are really low a lot on tape, things like that. It, just as far as technical stuff goes, what do you think about Hudson as a pick in general? Uh, your assessment on the hands are accurate, but everything else is really fine-tuned with him, and specifically just his athletic feet. And he moves really well, which fits with what the Browns are trying to do with, with having an off athletic offensive line, tie him to Bill Callahan for a year or two, and he could develop into something. You know, it, it's pretty obvious. These next three guys we're going to talk about, really the whole list, they're backups. You know, like this, this, is, this is a Kendall Lamb replacement pick with more yeah. upside than Kendall Lamb. And, and that's what he's going to come in here and be asked to do. And we're probably, hopefully, guys staying healthy. You don't want to wish injury on anyone, of course. Hopefully, you don't you don't hear from James Hudson for a few years. And when you do, he's developed into a uh, above average quality tackle. And it sounds like a guy capable of playing a swing guard position as well. 
Yeah, he does. I mean, the athletic the athleticism is something you can't coach, right? And they have Bill Callahan. So right away, I say any offensive lineman coming in here has a huge advantage. We've seen what Callahan can do. I mean, he's a he's a uh, incredible coach and a genius. So and and it's pretty cool too. The whole Joe Thomas idol thing, right? Yeah, Where right. it's a pretty cool stuff there. So uh, he's certainly in good hands. Uh, as we move to uh, their fifth pick. Uh, I don't want to get that wrong. I believe this is still a uh, not a not a fifth round pick, but their fifth overall pick. Yeah, round uh, four. Yeah, round four. Tommy, Tommy, pardon me, uh, Togi. I think yep. I said that right. Yep. Tommy Togi, defensive tackle, Ohio State, six two, three hundred pounds. Uh, he's a three tech guy. Um, you know, uh, he's. For me, he fits right into this rotation right away if he wants to. If it, I mean, the spot's there for him. Jackson, Billings, Elliott, your thoughts on Togiai? He'll have to impress pretty quickly in camp if he's going to beat out uh, veterans like Malik Jackson or Andrew Billings, in my opinion. I also think Jordan Elliott has had a decent rookie year to build off, and he really comps a lot to what Jordan Elliott was coming out a year ago. Uh, slippery, springing inside, three technique, active, and youthful. And that's what you're going to get out of a D-tackle in this round. But that's why D-tackles in this area tend to not play right away because you're competing with grown man strength, which is going to be Malik Jackson and Andrew Billings. Yeah, so I, I guess I I don't see him taking their spot. I'm just thinking right. they probably rotate four, right? Yeah, they try look. to get four of those guys on the field. And that's uh, the thing to keep in mind with all this is there's a 17th game plus a planned Super Bowl run, right? So this is yeah. way less yeah. about, the, about starting, and this is way actually about finishing and having depth. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and, and we're going to bring up another guy later in Marvin Wilson, but, you know, him and Togi, I will be interesting to see, you know, if they do use that, you know, four-person rotation, and we have three of them there, you know, is that, you know, are they battling for that fourth position maybe just to get on the field for 10, 15, 20 snaps or whatever? Um, and the other question I have about this, when you consider, Wilson, does this close the door on Sheldon Richardson for you? It's a really good question. Um, it doesn't. I think that money was the deciding factor with Sheldon, not production or skill or anything like that. Yeah. Meaning Sheldon is better than would be the best D tackle on the roster if he walked into Berea tomorrow. So if the money became right with Sheldon, I think he comes back and yeah, that's where I'll land. It was, I think this is all money related. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I still kind of am hoping, hanging on to some hope that maybe he would, yeah. you know, agree to a lesser rate and come back in. Cause just leadership wise, I feel like he yeah. was a big part of that culture in that side of the, of the ball. Um, all right. Their uh, next pick, they took Tony field. Fields? Yep. Fields? Yep. Uh, the second. Played three years in Arizona and then went to West Virginia. He's 6'1", 200 pounds. Uh, another very versatile guy here, right? Um, yeah. Smaller linebacker. What do you think about Fields? Yeah, this was the one pick that surprised me a bit. You know, the Anthony Shorts one, though, I thought they – may not have been they may have been caught a bit by surprise with just how the board fell you you kind of figured they'd find a receiver soon this one yeah. i didn't see coming when you look up fields and research them you see a lot of jok comps which is a player of course they already grabbed which to me tells me two things one 
this is their linebacker, the type of linebacker they want. They want to look more like safeties. They want to be fast. Two, they really don't like the linebacker room they currently had. And I think a lot of these linebackers from a year ago in the past two years, chances of making the roster just got a lot tougher. Yeah, that's I agree, too. I feel like they put guys on notice with this pick. You know, I agree with you, too, 100%. You know, Schwartz, I kind of questioned initially. I feel better after talking to you about Schwartz than anything. But this one feels like the only really reach. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, things that you look at have him as a, a seventh-round grade or a UDFA grade uh, on, on a lot of stuff that I've seen. So, you know, it feels like a little bit of a reach here in the fifth round at pick 154. But obviously they wanted to address that room. And he, like you said, he's a poor man's JOK. So, you know, he's like JOK's versatility without the athleticism, right? That's what it seems like. He's going to play traditional linebacker for them, as traditional as in the sense of this front office and what Joe Woods wants a traditional linebacker to be. But what I mean by that is he's not a coverage guy. You know, for everything JOK does in coverage – Tony Fields doesn't or hasn't proven to do yet. So okay. that's when it comes to poor man that to clarify that I would agree. <laughs> poor man is uh, in the coverage area. Got yep. it. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's a tackling fiend, right? He's got so many tackles. It's crazy. I mean, he led Arizona in tackles, led West Virginia in tackles. So, uh, you know, production is certainly not the problem there. I actually really like this next pick a lot. Uh, Richie LeCount, Richard LeCount, uh, safety from Georgia, uh, 5'11", 190 pounds, also in the fifth round, 170. Uh, thoughts on LeCount and uh, them going safety here in the fifth round? Yep, this pick made a lot of sense, and it's really what I think this front office is looking for from just upside picks at, at this late in drafts, specifically with what's going on with the safety position across this league. He ran a, like a 4840, had something to do with an injury, but to me, that doesn't matter because I read that his GPS tracking time was 90th percentile, and that's the type of data that smart teams like the Los Angeles Rams, who the Browns just got two of their secondary guys, so that tells you that they look at the same same data and respect it. Uh, that's what the Rams used to get Fuller the other year, and that is data that the Bears have used as well when Vic Fangio was there, another safety expert who plays too high often and plays three or four safeties. So the Browns are in that class of teams that seem to have found a market inefficiency in identifying quality safeties, upside safeties, and safeties that can play despite slower 40 times because it doesn't matter what you're doing running a straight line speed if you're playing around the line of scrimmage. It's about your processing speed, small area quickness, and just your ability to play football. And this is what this young man looks like he can do. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, uh, the stuff that I love to read here. So this is from PFF, right? Uh, LeCount can wear a, a lot of hats in your defense without being a liability. Uh, there's not one role he's perfect for, though. Uh, he's assignment sure safety. Uh, so few big plays allowed over the years. Trusts himself. Uh, when he makes his break, he doesn't second guess it. Very willing to take on blocks and hit. Doesn't know that he's undersized, so plays like he's you know yeah. bigger than he is. <laughs> I love that. Uh, three years of starting experience in a very uh, varied role against top competition, obviously, in the SEC. They make it out like the guy can do anything, uh, really, either safety spot you want. And he's very self-assured and great football IQ, all the things that you really want. 
uh, and a safety that you're going to get at this point in the draft. You're not going to get a guy with elite traits that jumps off this page at this point in the draft. But if you get a guy that is, you know, and they if you see they push their age guardrail a little bit with LeCount here, because he's got the experience and he can play those roles, and it, and it makes sense to push that age guardrail here. Yeah, exactly. And the, really the only thing that will stop will come from seeing the field early is just the depth at this position. You know, but given a chance, I I like his opportunity and his ability to come in and, and plug in at a safety spot if need be. Especially, I mean, right away as a rookie, this, this sounds like a young man who's really capable and is going to earn the trust of the coaching staff right away despite yes. the, the, the not having home run traits. Because they don't need him at that position. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. And then, so I really like that pick a lot, and I really like this pick. So they go Demetric Felton. I think I have yeah. some tape here from Felton. Because uh, he's just fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so Felton, uh, I really like this pick. I actually uh, like it a little bit better than the Schwartz pick. I know they serve different purposes. Let me uh, mute that there. That's a, a little crazy. Uh, but uh, if you can kind of see it there, that's oh, the it. best video, video uh, ever. Uh, come on, Mikey, get it together over there. Uh, Six-round pick, uh Pick 212, uh, started as a wide receiver, then went to a running back, put on some weight. At the Senior Bowl, he went back to wide receiver and and looked really good at wide receiver, right, in the Senior Bowl. Uh, So where I guess he had a really good week uh, against good competition. I like this guy a lot. Um, Like I said, I almost like him more than Schwartz as a pick. Uh, and maybe could be if you had to pick a guy to be that gadget guy. I feel like this guy might even be the one that is that guy. Yeah, they are going to run different types of gadgets for those two players. You know, like Felton's a, a type of guy who you're going to trust situationally. You, you see these swing passes; those are designed. You know, that's not like yep. a quarterback saying I'm in trouble. That's a designed swing. They are watching tape upstairs and they think, all right, this linebacker is not respecting are running back in in pass pro, so let's just leak him out and hit him for a quick hitter. That's the yeah. type of stuff he's going to run. As for the senior day stuff, and or excuse me, uh, senior bowl, wide receiver stuff he was doing, it's a blast to watch on YouTube, his senior day cuts. He, he is a decent slot receiver already. He's a good slot receiver. I don't know he if he's an NFL slot receiver yet, but he's just a good college slot receiver right now, meaning he can do stuff in the backfield, he can catch out of the backfield, he can run between the tackles, and he can play in the slot, meaning – this guy is going to be very versatile. You're not really going to know what personnel to match him with. He's not the home run hitter that, say, like a Tariq Cohen is. He's not going to bust an 80-yard score. But in a Curtis Samuel-type way, he is going to get open when he's in coverage. And when he's between the tackles, he's tough enough to pound the rock. If if Kareem Hunt or Nick Chubb get hurt, we saw what Dearness Johnson was able to do a year ago in that time. This is an upside version of that. And another guy who I think could carve out a, a small role in this offense but score two or three important touchdowns. Yeah, the thing, you know, that I like about him, too, at this point in the draft, obviously the last pick that the Browns make. So, you know, obviously he can contribute as a wide receiver. He can contribute as a running back. He can contribute as a kick returner, punt returner, and on special teams, obviously, as well. So you you like that he has a good chance to make your roster because he can do a ton of stuff for you, right? Oh yeah, he'll 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 be a guy that they're going to prioritize and, and draw stuff up for, and only going to expand his role, assuming he he handles the early stuff well. He's so much fun to watch. I like I like 
in the hole here. He gets sideways all the time, and he's getting through little holes here. And then you'll see a, a play coming up here where you were talking about him out of the slot, but he runs he runs a, a slant from the slot here in a minute. I think it might be the next one against USC, and he beats him. Maybe it's not against USC, but either way, you see all these swing routes, and he just beats everybody in the open field. He's tremendous. Yeah, he's just a guy who does really well in, in space and a sound finisher. And again, he's going to be really hard to keep track of out there when they roll either 11 purse or 21 purse. You're not going to know how to ID him as either a running back or receiver. Yeah. And he, and he doesn't come down easily either. It's not like he's too skinny or anything. The speed and the athleticism, he doesn't get tackled easily. He stays on his feet. Balance is incredible. You'll see like right here. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I'm waiting to see this uh, slant that he runs here where he gets up and this might be it right here. Little, yeah, little angle route from the back. Little angle route out of the backfield, not so much a slant, but still, uh, you see there that you know he's always putting his foot in the ground and going one direction to the other and beating people up the field, not going down easily. So, I really like this pick a lot. Uh, and it's he's fun to watch, so he'll be a fun weapon to add to Stefanski's arsenal for sure. Uh, and let's see if Mikey can. We'll, we'll let it run out here and watch him a little bit more. Uh, f- f- they played uh, – what was UCLA's uh, record this year? Do you know if they were any good? Oh, that's a – I think they had a better year than usually. They've had They've had a few down years here in a row. I'm not I'm not a huge college football guy with covering the NFL, but – Me neither, brother. Yeah. I, I used to be, but, you know, once you start focusing on the NFL, it's like uh, – All-consuming. Draft season is when I start to get yep. into college football, right? Exactly. And this is going to run out here in a second. As this is against Arizona State, I think USC again. I mean, that's pretty good between the tackles right there for a little guy, and then there's some of the speed. Again, between the tackles. So, good stuff there from uh, Felton. Somebody that I'm excited about for sure. All right, let's uh, move on here. I got some more questions for you, and then we'll get you out of here. We're going to do AFC North draft here in a minute. But I did want to ask you uh, uh, a couple things about these picks. Which was your favorite pick, you think, out of all of these? Do you have a favorite? Yeah, I think it's Greg Newsom. I'm just... He really won me over in his press conference. Just a really sharp, confident young man. Again, confident but humble, hungry for an opportunity. That type of swagger that you you're, you believe in him because he believes in himself. But again, but not in a in a self aware way. In a, to be clear, in a self aware way, he's a very seems like a very self aware young man. So combine that with what I see on tape, with how I see him growing into his frame. I think he has all the pieces to turn into a quality pro. If not, have even more upside than that. Yeah, for sure. Um, he, he, him, or uh, you know, Owosakorma. I like. I said I really like Le- LeCount and Felton at the end of the draft too. I think are great values. Um, obviously, Togi, I think, is a guy that can contribute potentially as well. All right, who do you think of all of the players drafted will have the hardest time making the team? It's a good question. I could see LeCount being a practice squad guy, maybe it's just tough to say this is, this is the Browns are going to be a team. that are going to have practice squad 
practice squad guys picked up. Like guys they hope can clear waivers and make it on the practice squad, they're going to lose them because this is a stacked roster. But Because then I could see them not wanting to even risk losing LeCount. So then you think Fields, but then why make the pick? That's a round five pick. We are in unprecedented territory with this front office. My colleague Mary Kay Cabot wrote about how she's never seen this much turnover from a defense from year one to year two. So yeah. I, I, I wish I could give you an answer, but, I mean, it could be – they could just cut vets. You know, it could be Mac Wilson, Sony Taki. That whole linebacker room could be gone, and they could just keep the young kids. So it, it is going to be fascinating to watch how this plays out. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'll be completely honest with you. I'm not, I haven't been the biggest fan of Sheldrick Redwine right. in his progression. Yep. And, and and I think that if LeCount shows that he's, that he's you know, uh, capable of doing the job, then I think Redwine might uh, not be long for the roster either. Yep. Um, so. I completely agree with that. It's a great point. Um, all right. Uh, do, do you feel like the Browns reached on any of these? I don't. Again, I think the shorts pick was just the only one they didn't totally anticipate. They knew they needed a receiver. Uh, the fields one, again, I go back to wondering, but they're in a spot where they don't need to nail all these picks and you're not ever going to nail them all anyway. So, you know, assuming they land three guys who turn out, this is, this has been a great class and they, assuming three turn out, it's a great class and you can respect their process and landing all these guys. So I would say, no, I don't see any reaches here whatsoever. Yeah, it doesn't seem like that's in his DNA at all. Barry or any of those guys that reach are going to stick to the plan no matter what. You know, um, Schwartz, back to him again, just because I have questions about him. Is it, You think there was anybody else on the board that maybe you would have thought at that point, wide receiver, that maybe you thought was a better fit than him? Um, wide receiver, off the top of my head, I, a guy like Tylen Wallace comes to mind, who I'm going to talk about yes. when we get to the Ravens. Yeah. Just your more traditional outside receiver, polished up, you know what you're going to get out of him. But I, I understand the shorts pick. I understand the upside and his specific fit to the offense. So they're completely different players, quite frankly. So it was never going to be Tylen Wallace. They were looking for a guy like shorts, and that's why he's on the team. Yeah, I wonder about Darden. Uh, I think sure. he was still on the board, and he's a straight speed guy too, but maybe a little bit better of a like a slot receiver. I don't know, out of North Texas, I think. Yep. So a couple guys that maybe, uh, at least in the pre-draft process, I marked ahead of Schwartz. But either way, obviously, those guys are a lot smarter than me, so I'm just saying. I hear you. Uh, but, hey, I'm here talking, so I'm going to tell you what I think. So, uh, All right. Um so you obviously didn't dislike any of these, right? Yeah, I'm good with the draft. It was just a solid draft all all together. And when you really survey the the NFL draft review marketplace, if you will, you, you don't see anything below a B plus for how the Browns did. So who am I gonna? How am I gonna come on here and say I don't like one of these picks? Yeah, I, I haven't seen. Yeah, I, you're right. I haven't seen anything like that. So. Uh, even I, I've seen mostly A pluses everywhere. Exactly. Um, so, uh, you know, a couple of the other teams that I think that got high grades. I'm trying to think of who who else was graded highly. I think the Jaguars got some high grades. Yeah, uh, and, you know, teams with the quarterback situations like the Bears. Yep. You know, um, I I know the the Lions. You know, grabbing the the interior guys. Um, it's, you know, it, it really was an overall solid class in general. Again, the Jaguars off the top of my head did, what did well. The Chiefs did pretty well, you, you'd think. So it's really just – I think the the, cla- the this class itself just was so deep that it was hard to 
mess it up if you just stuck to your board. And that's what the Browns did. Yeah. Uh, and they, you know, they were able to move a, a pick into next year, which I think is valuable because next year is expected to even be deeper. You know, they're anticipating 300 to 350 guys with draftable grades because yep. of the COVID extra year of eligibility and all that stuff. So uh, that is a smart move that a lot of people said that teams were going to try to do, uh, you know, with their extra picks this year. So we see that. Let's uh, jump around the AFC North real quick, and then I'll get you out of here. I know I've kept you a little bit long longer than we thought uh, cool. initially, but uh, uh, hopefully you're okay with that there. Let's just j- take a quick look at the Bengals here. Um, obviously, Jamar Chase, Jackson Carmen, Joseph Asai, Cameron Sample, uh, back-to-back edges there. Uh, Tyler Shelvin I liked. Uh, you know, Deontay Smith, uh, Evan McPherson, they go kicker in the fifth round. Trey Hill, uh, Chris Evans, running back from Michigan, and Wyatt Huber, defensive end from Kansas State. Thoughts on their draft, and did you think that any place that they, you know, whiffed big time or anything? Well, this is all going to come down to how Jackson Carmen pans out. You know, they need to protect Joe Burrow, and if he exactly. ends up being that player, then then grabbing Jamar Chase was the right move. If Penny Swell turns out to be, you know, 10, 11-year pro with some all pros and perhaps a Hall of Fame career, this is going to be an entire different conversation. I also didn't think Jamar Chase was like the clear and ahead number one. Well, actually, I didn't even have him as my wide receiver one. Uh, Interesting. So I, I didn't. I just don't agree with you know when you're going to pick a receiver that high, he needs to be generational. He needs to be Julio Jones or Calvin Johnson. Jamar Chase. Who'd you, who'd you have as your number one? Waddle. Devon, Devonta Smith. Devonta Smith. Okay. Yep. yep. I, I think he's the most complete receiver and will be open from week one when he steps on a field and as he matures he'll only put on you know a, enough mass for this whole 165 thing to not matter it doesn't matter now and it won't matter for the rest of his career my initial thought and of course i'm harder on these teams obviously in the, in the afc north as we probably all are than most people was they're gonna do the dumb thing and take jamar chase when the easy no-brainer pick is right there in front of them with Penn Sewell, right? And if they just take him, then they can protect their quarterback. And, they, you know, there's this is a deep wide receiver class. It was a deep tackle class, too. But, you know, as you said, Carmen is not a sure thing by any stretch of the imagination. And under by my, my own evaluation, they have good wide receiver core already without Jamar Chase. So I just felt like... It was almost like a, a you know a Bengals type immature type pick to go with Chase over the sure thing in a generational type player like Sewell. Yeah, and that's going to all reflect back on Zach Taylor. I read that the owner let him make the pick, and that Joe Burrow was obviously huge on having his teammate. And that sounds like a young coach being influenced by it does uh, areas of his office that should not have such say in (laughs) draft i'll I'll leave it at that yeah no i agree all right let's go to uh a a draft that i didn't like at all i didn't i I thought this was a bad draft by the steelers in my personal opinion you can tell me if i'm wrong here but uh i was not impressed with their their picks here and normally they draft really well but to go running back tight ends with the problems they have on that uh, offense, uh, you know, Kendrick Green's a good player. I, you know, I like that pick as a mid-round pick. Certainly, I mocked him probably 10 times to the Browns. He might have been in that sweet spot to the Browns there in the middle of the draft for all those mock simulators. But, uh, you know, 
and then you look down, they get, you know, Roche, which is the, you know, your third. Some, some people had him as an edge. So he's like, what, an outside linebacker. He's yeah. like the third edge from Miami uh, in this draft. Trey Norwood. And then they go punter uh, in round seven. And I guess that's the time to get a prior. It's like a priority UDFA at pick 254. But what are your thoughts here? You know, once again, I thought it was a little bit short-sighted to go Harris instead of taking the offensive lineman that was there. I think Vera Tucker or somebody like that was there on the board. Uh, that was a no-brainer that, you know, hey, it doesn't really matter who your running back is going to be. you got to get a better offensive line in front of them. I hear you. I actually do like the Najee Harris pick only because okay. I read I read something about how the Steelers had not invested in anything higher than like a third-round pick on a running back in the past five, six years. And that it's a bit of a chicken and the egg thing. Like, does the it running game suck because the offensive line is poor or because they don't have a, t- a talent back there? They grab the talent. I think they're going to have to commit to him a little more, perhaps play Big Ben under center. And, look, you can patchwork your offensive line for a year. It's not a good long-term plan. But going right. running back tight end, clearly there is no long-term plan here. This is about getting one more year out of Big Ben, and they'll figure it out in 2022, I guess. Yeah, and I guess I'm I'm cool with that that approach by them. Like, go for that, right? Like, right. you know, I'm just glad we're getting a couple more shots at Ben personally uh, before he's done. All right, and then the Ravens, who always draft well, I thought did a pretty good job uh, again here. Um, they needed a receiver. They go Bateman away. Uh, obviously, a ton of upside. Super, he's the guy that ran the the incredible, like what, like a four three or four four forty at the pro days, which you take with a grain of salt at the pro day, right? Yeah. Uh, but you know, Ben Cleveland, uh, guard from Georgia, Brandon Stevens, I actually liked a lot in the pre-draft process as a quarterback. Tylen Wallace, there's a guy that we talked about. Uh, from Oklahoma State, different kind of receiver, but a guy that I, I think uh, was rated higher than Schwartz on a lot of people's boards. Sean Wade, you know, he's a he's a guy that uh, certainly, you know, can play nickel or slot corner at the next level. I don't expect him to play outside at all, but I'm sure that he can fit into their uh, scheme that way. Uh, and I don't know much about the next two guys, Hayes from Notre Dame or Mason from Michigan. Thoughts on uh, the Ravens uh, draft here? Yeah, I really like the draft. Uh, the only reason I'd say the Browns had a better one, and it's a big reason, but the Browns' second pick was a top 20 player who came you know, at 52, where the Ravens' second player is a top 20 guy who came at 31. But I really like both the Browns yes. and the Ravens' first two players is my point. And as you slot, like, they're going to turn away into a, a really good linebacker outside guy. And it's just what Baltimore does a lot, like Pittsburgh. Also, what Baltimore does is produce cornerbacks. Between Stevens and Wade, one of those two guys are going to be a problem. Mark my words. Look at the DBs that they deploy the past two, three years. One of those two guys are going to turn into a, a long-term starter, if not a stud. Ben Cleveland looks like a mammoth of a man. I, I like that pick. They need help in the interior of their line. And then Tylen Wallace to pair with Bateman, they're finally addressing outside receiver. And I think they did a good job doing that, addressing and identifying two professional outside route runners. Bateman, of course, being the higher upside guy. I really like the draft. And then they'll find a way for Ben Mason, a guy from the Big Ten, a fifth-round fullback, to sneak in the end zone a few times when they're running heavy personnel with Lamar Jackson. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I, you know, 
kind of fits what's going on with the AFC North, the Browns and the Ravens having better drafts and 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 the the Steelers, you know, looking a bit desperate at this point to try to keep up with things uh, in, in yeah. an arms war and, and, and the Bengals building and getting there. So that's kind of what we saw from the drafts, actually, pretty uh, right on cue. Last thing here before I let you go, and you've been incredible tonight, make sure you follow Ellis Williams on uh, Twitter at Book of Ellis and read all of his stuff at cleveland.com as he is all over uh, Brown's coverage uh, all the time. And uh, you can watch uh, uh, them uh, on their channel. What's your guys' YouTube channel? Just cleveland.com? Yep, cleveland.com slash Browns. All right, there you go. Because uh, uh, you and and Doug, who's been on the show a few times, uh, are always on there talking, and you guys crack me up. You guys do a great job on your coverage. Thank you. Uh, so, um, all right, final thing here, UDFA. So if the Browns hadn't knocked it out of the park enough, they go out and get probably – you know, one of the top two guys available on the uh, undrafted list uh, with Marvin Wilson uh, from Florida State, 6'5", 305, consensus five-star recruit coming out of high school. Uh, you know, he would if should he have left for the draft last offseason, many believe he was uh, a first-round pick or an early day two pick, uh, decided to come back. Um, and kind of unsure. I mean, he played a different role in 2020, but there's real no, there's no real flat out answer to what happened to his production in 2020 or why he dropped off the map there. Uh, the Browns, uh, won a, as it was described, uh, by Tom Pelissaro, a swift bidding war, uh, to get him his services and bring him in. So a nice job there bringing him in, uh, you know, certainly a guy that very well could have been drafted and many valued as a, a very talented guy. If you look at his uh, production and, and one, people said one of the best in interior defenders in the country in 18 and 19. Uh, so uh, thoughts on Marvin Wilson and this this pickup here as a undrafted free agent. Yeah, you know, the Browns didn't have a seventh-round pick, and they made this young man a priority, and he's going to have an opportunity to surprise some people and capitalize on that five-star recruit athleticism. Uh, he was heavily recruited by Ohio State. Sounds like a, a young, high-motor type of player who you know has some adversity and now has a chance to make something of it. So it's a competitive interior D-line all of a sudden, and it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out. But just this roster from top to bottom, whether we're talking – you know, the 26th pick in the first round or an undrafted free agent, it, it's decked all over the place. Yeah, they they, uh, they killed it and uh, stuck to their plan and nailed it. Obviously, uh, you know, if they were ready to pay what is ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, really undrafted free agents is such a gold mine. I was listening to, you know, uh, the spot track, you know, the guys over at spot track talk about this stuff, but undrafted free agents is just a, a there's so many good players that go undrafted. Uh, like they could add like three rounds to this draft. It would bore the crap out of people, but, uh, they could add like three rounds to the draft and, and they would get evaluated and picked and have a chance to make rosters. Uh, so to spend $30,000 in the grand scheme of things of what the Browns are going to spend to get a guy like this makes a ton of sense and, and just goes to their plan and, and them being intelligent about the way they're, they're uh, handling their business for sure. 
you've been excellent, outstanding, Ellis. Uh, you're a uh, wonderful guest. I will have you back again if you will have me. Uh, we'd love to send you an All Eyes on Cleveland t-shirt for hey. coming on the show. Yes, I'll get your size and, and shoot you one your way. Uh, you've been tremendous in breaking awesome. everything down for us tonight. Uh, took up a ton of your time. I didn't mean to. No, you're good. Uh, but all right, man, you, you're the best. So uh, tell everybody where they can check out your stuff. And uh, if I haven't covered it all already, but uh, yeah, Cleveland.com at Book of Ellis. It's Ellis Williams. Thanks for having me, man. Looking forward to that T-shirt. I'll have it on next time. Yes, sir. And we're back. That was an interview with Ellis Williams of Cleveland.com. Follow him on Twitter at Book of Ellis. Ellis is uh, awesome. You've got to read his stuff all the time. He's tremendous. Uh, follow on Twitter and does an incredible job over at Cleveland.com with uh, the rest of them over there. Uh, you know, Doug and him are uh, frequent flyers now. Well, that's Ellis's second time here on the show. And I think Doug Lay Maurice has been on the show three times. So those guys over at Cleveland.com. Coming on, All Eyes on Cleveland is uh, awesome of them, and uh, we uh, appreciate their time. Certainly, Ellis did a great job tonight. Real quickly, last thing before I let everybody go tonight, there was some news here tonight from the Browns, not on the UDFA front, which I've been scouring the Internet to look for to try to keep that tracker updated uh, and keep everybody updated on Twitter with the UDFA signings, but the Browns go out and sign uh, a guy named Malik McDowell, which is an interesting case here, okay? Uh, the Seahawks drafted him in the third round uh, of the 2017 NFL draft. Uh, he was a five-star recruit, played his football at Michigan State. Uh, he was all Big Ten in 2016, um, finished his three-year college career with seven and a half sacks and 24 and a half tackles for loss. Uh, he is yet to play a game in the NFL, though. He was involved in an ATV accident prior to his rookie training camp. Uh, they placed they placed him on the reserve, uh, did not report list. Uh, he eventually did report on August 3rd, 2017, and was placed on the non-football injury list by uh, the Seahawks. He was then arrested uh, in the... Uh, Later in the year, in December, on a disorderly conduct charge, the Seahawks waived him um, in July of 2018 uh, before he ended up uh, back on their injured reserve list. He was eventually released in uh, March of 2019. Now, McDowell has had a number of legal issues since then, uh, or since entering the league. He allegedly fought... Uh, with two uh, Lathrop Village police officers after getting stopped for suspicion of drunk driving, according to uh, the Detroit News Press. Uh, the NFL suspended him for his first two games of the 2019 season as a result of the incident. Uh, he also faced charges for concealing stolen property two months later when he was stopped with a uh, $74,000 Ford F-150 Raptor pickup 
that he claimed to have bought off the street. Uh, McDowell uh, pleaded guilty to charges of assault, resisting arrest, operating a vehicle while intoxicated, and receiving concealing, uh, receiving and concealing stolen property in October of 2019. He was sentenced to 11 months in prison and three years probation and had to write three essays as a part of his sentence. Strange that that is part of the story. Um, Okay, so McDowell was sued by the Seahawks also because he failed to repay his signing bonus. Here is what... uh, Andrew Barry said after the signing today sometime, I'm sure, uh, quote, We are certainly aware of Malik's past, uh, as we have done extensive homework on him for the last two months. Uh, Andrew Barry said in a statement released by the team. There you go. He is accountable for his actions and has had to live with the consequences Um, for his decisions earlier in his life. We believe Malik is in a good place personally and medically. He has taken the necessary steps to get on a healthy path and has learned from his experiences. Malik understands the expectations we have of him as he attempts to make our football team. He is committed to taking advantage of the support network in place to become the best version of himself both on and off the field, and we will support him as he attempts to make his return to football. So an interesting story here is the Browns, you know, all four giving guys second chances like this for sure. Um, he's had some troubles and, you know, the, as long as the Browns have done their homework and we fully trust at this point, Andrew Barry and D. Podesta and those guys certainly get the benefit of the doubt as far as the work that they've done on a guy like this. If they're going to bring him in, They've certainly, I'm sure, made that he is made sure he's in a good place and on a road to recovery. And I'm all for giving a guy a second chance to turn around his life. Uh, obviously, mess up the first one, and hopefully, he can turn it all around here with the Browns. We all need a second chance sometimes, so uh, let's hope that uh, Malik can uh, turn things around here with the Browns. And, and he's six six, three hundred pounds, and was all Big Ten five star. I mean, the guy could be a beast. I mean, he certainly sounds like one. So when you talk about Tommy uh, Togiai, uh, Marvin Wilson, UDFA sign, and now Malik McDowell, those are three talented, talented young individuals added to that defensive tackle room. You wonder if the door is actually maybe closing a little bit on Sheldon Richardson's time. I hope not. I hope that they can work something out and bring him back because, as Ellis said, he would immediately be the best tackle in that room should he walk back through those doors in Berea. Um, And obviously a leader and a key to that defense. I would love to see him a part of what they do going forward, but it is certainly interesting the lengths they're going to bring in talented individuals like McDowell, Wilson, and Togiai to that defensive tackle room. That's it here tonight from All Eyes on Cleveland. We'll be back later this week. Just to give you a heads up on the uh, schedule this week, I will be on. Um, I'm I'm on a show tomorrow night. I got to look at my schedule. I'm on a show tomorrow night. I'll tweet it out uh, as a guest appearance. Uh, and then we'll be back Wednesday or Thursday with another show. I have uh, a guest in the works for later this week still working out the schedule though so i hope you enjoyed this one i certainly did ellis it's fantastic and uh 
You guys are fantastic. We'll get you up and out of here tonight. Uh, and uh, thanks for watching. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your way out. We're getting close to that thousand. That's that's the number right there that we got to get to. So uh, it helps me a ton if you hit that uh, subscribe button on your way out. For Mikey on the ones and twos, this has been another edition of All Eyes on Cleveland. Thank you so much for watching. And with that, we are out. Thank you.